Hey, Alyssa here, and you're listening to Calm Conversations, a mental health podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is going to be talking about sex. Why is it so shameful for some people, especially in the Asian cultural context, and how that then affects mental health? Today's episode doesn't actually have me in it. It's going to be Sabrina, my co-founder, speaking to Ju Him. So have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Ju Him. Thanks for joining us Hi. today. Yeah, no worries. Hi, Sabrina. Hi. All right. So we we know we both know what we're here to talk about today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's d- dive straight in. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's explore. You know, first the topic of shame around sex. Mm-hmm. So, Juhim, in yeah, in your opinion, um, why do you think there's so much discomfort around this topic, or like even talking about it? Where does it come from? I think it's it's um, something that's been ingrained in a lot a lot of people for for many many years, many generations, you know, and then it's sort of bolstered by this concept that we are an Asian society, and therefore we don't go around talking about sex. And I remember, what, you know, especially when I was younger, I don't feel or sense it so much now. But definitely, when I was a child or a teen, there's this thing about oh, these this American TV that's corrupting our children. They're so, mm. you know, they talk so freely about sex or they jump into bed so easily. So there's this whole idea that this is a Western concept and a Western import, and because we are Asian, we don't do that. And and this was kind of reinforced. I don't know, probably both both uh, actually said and but also like this under an unsaid implication that runs through so I think a lot of us our generation got a, really got the message that sex is like oh taboo is dirty it's mm-hmm. you know is this is that um, and and I think it's it's uh, done with a sense of uh, protecting children right this this desire to say okay um, these these children or these young people that they're, they're too young they they don't know what they're getting themselves into so but then instead of having an open dialogue or you know the the, the method of choice of advising young people and children not to do something is to scare them silly, right? Um, and I remember mm-hmm. a lot of this from my childhood in schools. Like if they if adults don't want to do something, they scare you silly. And it, and in the process, they actually instill a lot of shame, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, b- because, I mean, face it, sexual feelings are innate. We're, we're, we're built physiologically to feel certain things, right? I mean, you can't run away from it. So even in the middle of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring this in maybe later, but this, mm-hmm. in, the, in the middle of an unwanted um, encounter, like a sexual assault or a rape, usually the person still feels certain things, you know, mm-hmm. you can't help it. And when some, this, the example I, I give a lot is, I mean, I, when you're tickled, you are laugh, even though you, you may hate it and you don't want it to happen. Mm, yeah. So it's the same. So then when, as young people, you're given all these messages as children and then suddenly you grow up a little bit and you feel all these feelings, your mind kind of explodes. You don't know what to do with it, right? It's like, it's supposed to be bad, mm. but then it feels so good and, Am I am I bad? Am I dirty for feeling like this? You know, so mm-hmm. there's all it creates all these dissonances and you know crazy feelings. So yeah, and, and that perpetuates, right? And it's like, oh, you know, we need to tell our children certain things, so then it just goes from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, you, you brought up the idea of dissonance, right? And <laughs> you know, I'm really curious about how you know, the the child or the, the teen who's growing up and feeling all these um, dirty feelings, you know, then becomes a mature adult who's then married and expected to have kids, right? Because yep. that's the Asian thing to do. You have to give 
your you know give make kids for your parents to to make them happy right yes that's right so, so yeah. yeah, I mean, um, there's a, there's there's some articles online to say that um, you know this this is from America because you know they're much more open about it, but but the young people who had uh, taken like uh, virginity pledges or who had taken vows of abstinence and things like that, mm. they sort of report feeling all sorts of feeling a mess psychologically late at some point because it's like there's so much pressure on them and then it's so unrealistic, right? Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the, there are some blogs who say that they, they, they really suffered psychologically for it. So mm-hmm. there's, well, people in Singapore don't even talk about any of this. Mm. So we don't really know how people manage and cope, you know. Um, mm. I imagine some people will spend the first few years of an adult relationship um, trying to reconcile all these very different threats and, you know, and coming to terms with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that a lot of people are carrying a lot of shame as well as a lot of secrets, right, with them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you have had an, a, sexual, a sexual encounter before you're married in Singapore, in a place where, you know, you're just told not to have sex before marriage. I mean, even for me, I, when I was in school, um, I remember we had to sign a, an abstinence pledge. And then there were some kids around me who were like... <gasps> too late you know oops and but the thing is it the thing is it's it's um you know that then how do you talk about it openly you know instead you get like slut shamed in school if someone knows that you've you've you know had some kind of some kind of encounter whether it's something that you you wanted to um voluntarily or not right whether you Mm -hmm. give consent or not it's it's something that's just really shunned upon so then how do you talk about it um openly right um yeah yeah hopefully it, it, it the, there's a sense that the, the, the there is some change that the younger generation don't feel as pressured as we did you know we don't feel, they don't seem to feel as torn in all directions as, as we did so i think there's also the realization by parents that oh wait we don't want to pass on this that was that, that we experience, right? And, and and I see that in my workshops because, uh, you know, we do a quick uh, poll at the start to say how many of you had, you know, we had various options, but this, this majority classified as sort of some kind of bad messaging as in sex negative or guilting me- messaging about sex versus neutral versus sort of positive, open communication. I would say vast majority um, have had, like more the negative messaging. So mm. so it really shows that, you know, people who were impacted by negative messaging are now with our children trying to do something different, trying to avoid this um, cognitive dissonance and this mm. struggle, right? Because, when, when, yeah, when you feel shame, it, it, it really is hard to function. I mean, I love the work of Brene Brown, so I read quite, mm. you know, some of her books and articles, but it's just like it... It freezes you and it mobilizes you. you. You feel like you can't do anything and you just feel like a real mess inside. And well, I know, and I think a lot of parents are feeling, why do we want to do that to our kids? Why do we mm-hmm. want to what, you know, tie both arms and both legs behind their back and it's like, oh, go off in the world, you know? Yeah, and then fingers crossed you'll be, you'll be fine, right? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, like, we're kind of talking about the implications of shame, right, around mm-hmm. sex. Um, so I, I guess we've kind of like gone into the territory of how shame affects 
relationships and having like healthy relationships, right? What what mm-hmm. are your thoughts around it? Whether it's um, how it impacts having healthy relationships with yourself versus others. Um, well, I'm a caveat. I'm no expert on this, right? So mm. it's based on my personal experience and, and workshops and what I've spoken with. I feel that if when you're feeling shame, you you kind of really move in the world, right? You don't know how to be because there's a part of you and it's it's a running tape that, that kind of goes, you're awful, you you, you know, you, you can't do this, you're not worth it, you you did something, you know, and and I love how Brene Brown um, sort of separates uh, shame and guilt, right? Guilt is like I've done something wrong. Uh, I made a big mistake. I need to make up for it. Shame is when you feel I'm bad for making the mistake. I'm stupid. Mm. I'm inadequate. I can't do this. When there's a when the shame is specifically about sex, it's also I'm slutty. I'm dirty. I'm I'm going against my parents. I'm going against my teachers. And it's it doesn't stop the moment you get married, right? Yeah. I mean, all these messages. As human beings, you can't flick a switch and go, mm. okay, this was before, now I'm married, I'm cool. It, it doesn't happen that mm-hmm. way. So then you, you, or, you know, even before marriage, whatever, you enter a committed relationship. Then as you're with your significant other, you know, your intimate partner, all this is running through your head. How, how, do, you, mm. how do you have a healthy relationship? Because you're having an extremely unhealthy relationship with, the, with yourself, you know, mm. so so when when you when you have this script running and then you're with a partner, the partner can can be really unhealthy and you you think it's fine because yeah. that's how you're used to relating to yourself. You're stupid. You're unworthy. This is dirty. This is mm. awful. And then so the person says you're stupid, and you go like, yeah, 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 I agree. This sounds all too familiar, right? I mean, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> I, I I I mean at least. Even with my, my own experience and amongst my peers, um, mm-hmm. I feel that a lot of us are not properly equipped for adult relationships because we don't know how to to deal with uh, you know things like what's okay and what's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know whether it's in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom, it's yeah. all kind of like you know <laughs> merges into one, and we're not sure how to navigate that, right? So I guess you know just just going back to what you do um, for your for the birds and bees program? I'm really curious to find out more about how, you know, how you're approaching this topic by teaching parents about how to educate the kids about sex. Right? How do you? Yeah, where where do you begin? In in some of the sessions where where parents kind of express certain things like. Um, we are leaving with more questions and answers. I kind of laugh and goes, yeah, that's kind of the point. Um, <laughs> um, because a lot of these pers- uh, decisions are so personal to the, the individual parent, the family, and also the interaction uh, between um, parent and child, right? That, that mm. um, you know, the same, the same family, the same parent can have two or three or more children, and they may approach each child very differently depending on their personality, the way the parent and the child's personality, you know, meshes and things like that. So, so what we try to do in our workshop is to is to highlight and bring up certain areas that we think some parents may not have thought of. So we, we throw up, you know, areas we think are important for the parents to know and, and ask and basically ask questions. The only area where we don't ask it as a question is the area of consent. Right? We we mm. present it as as 
um, a topic, a yeah. must, and also presents uh, it as what it is, what is not, and all the gray areas. I mean, not all, but we, we try to tease out some of the gray areas between, you know, uh, what happens if they had sex before? What happens if one party has had a drink? When, what happens if mm-hmm. you go to one person's mm-hmm. house versus another person's house? Things like that. Oh, I'm giving away the content. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but this is, Joham, this is super important because that's literally the conversations that I'm having with my peers, you know, and mm-hmm. we're like 30 already, mm-hmm. right? Like things that we wish we knew at 13 or 15, right? Yeah. We ran a workshop uh, uh, in collaboration with a, a website in Singapore that does uh, sexual health, right? And the target audience was young people like your age, 20s, 30s. Mm. And and everybody stayed and they were so engaged, right? So it, it definitely is something that's missing from, you know, young adults' life, uh, that, that they feel like they were not given enough information when they were back in school and therefore they, they want to know more. Exactly as you said, you know, these conversations they're having and sometimes it's a bit like blind leading the blind, mm, right? Mm-hmm, 100%. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I know that we are experts, right? I mean, we're just, okay, we, 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 we develop this as parents for parents, right? Um, some parents have gone through this journey and then we've spent a really long time digging up the research and reading and, 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 and thinking through things. So we're not holding ourselves up to be, you know, like child, experts of children or psychology or whatever, but just like these are things that were really, really helpful as parents to think about. And, and based on research, based on, you know, it, 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 backs up, it backs us up, the theories and stuff. So then, then you really need to think about it. And, then, and what we've been hearing from young people is as well as that the consent they were taught in school is so black and white. So, of course, mm-hmm. they know where there's an assault, there's no consent. And, it, it, you know, it's just very black and white. But what happens when you have all these gray areas? What happens when, you know, the person, one, one party doesn't say yes and doesn't say no? What happens? You know, all these huge gray areas, and and how how does peer pressure come in? Mm-hmm. You know how um, how how does uh, stereotypes or expectations come in? All these things, you know, and, and then um, it makes it really gray. So we kind of present it as as like, okay, it is gray, but it's it's worth discussing this with your children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the message that we want to send across is like, ultimately, when you talk to young children. Please get them to get a verbal yes, right? Some kind of verbal yes. And then if they progress and go to something else, please get another verbal yes. Mm-hmm. You know, because relying on body language, um, especially when you're young, especially when you're feeling horny, is just <laughs> not reliable, right? No, you know, no, you, no, no. You're, you're, you're not even sure what your own your own feelings are. And then it's so complicated when you're with a person mm-hmm. that you're attracted to, that you think you love, and that, oh my gosh, all these hormones are raging mm-hmm. within you. And what's a body language? Is a mm-hmm. smile a yes or an awkward smile? Is a sigh a yes or, oh no, here we go again? Mm-hmm. You know, definitely. This just like brings to mind the idea of, you know, playing hard to get, right? You know, as, as a teenager, you're like, I mean, I've, I've heard amongst my, my guy friends as a kid, as I guess, I don't know, maybe I was like 15 or 16. And the boys mm-hmm. would be like, oh, yeah, no, she's just she's just playing hard to get. I need to try again. I need to keep going. Or um, she might have said no to to my whatever, you know, advances. Right. And and they would be convinced that, no, she just wants me to keep chasing and I, I'll keep going for it. Right. So, yeah, you know, this is this is just really I, I guess this really emphasizes the importance of um, 
yeah, understanding the concept of consent and also being able to like respect each other's boundaries. I, I don't know whether that's, that's a thing. Also. Boundaries are a huge thing. You yeah. know, um, a lot of times when they talk about gender relations in Singapore and, um, you know, the, the authorities are not willing to legislate, they keep going about respect. But you've you got to tease out the word respect, right? Because it's, it's been thrown around so much as to be meaningless. You know, but ultimately what does respect mean? It means that if... And, and I'm going to be using mm. gender stereotypes here because it, that tends to be how it happens. So if a boy approaches a girl and goes, hey, do you want to go? And the girl goes, nah, not really. Mm. If you respect, you respect the no, you respect that, okay, let me back off. But then the, the, all these um, tropes and myths and stereotypes that go, oh no, she's just playing hard to get or she's just being coy, she wants it really. You know, it's all this really damaging stereotypes that, that a lot of people don't even realize that they hold. So mm-hmm. so how do you respect when your script is running in your head to say, ah, oh, she's just playing hard to get, you know, she really wants it, et cetera, et cetera. And then vice versa, if for a girl, the script running through her head is that, ah, oh, there's no way boys will say no to sex, right? Mm, how, actually, how? That's such a good point. That's actually a really <laughs> good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, actually along that line, it's, uh, so, so, I mean, I'm just going by my experience of, uh, like, my, of my peers or my own, um, you know, if, if, yeah, if girls think that way, it's like, okay, I'm just going to offer myself, um, you know, my body, sex, and I'll be accepted that way. And then that's how I can get the, or lure the guy into a relationship. That could also be, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of like quite unhealthy, very unhealthy thinking, I think, to when it comes to, yeah, you know, the building the foundations of a relationship. Oh, yeah, t- totally unhealthy. So, but it's because it's not really taught well in schools, is not really talked about in families, then where are they going to get this information from, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, for our generation, it was very much American TV, sitcoms, movies, where, you know, stalker-type behavior is... is celebrate and go oh my god it's so romantic oh my god he finally got his girl and it's like hello it's stalker <laughs> you know yeah. he's being and now it's all digital as well it's all right? digital and then oh. there's there's porn right or, or pornography or like, yeah kids i don't know like people send dick pics to each other oh god yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and there's also like yeah you know, all kinds a, of photos and like yeah. catfishing and like yes. thirst traps which the girls are posting online and I'm like, oh no, this is going to be there all, you know, forever, right? In a sense, the the young people are just reacting to the images in society, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, they're using sex to sell everything, including like Burger King had this, this horrible ad with, uh, was it Burger King or Subway? What? Had this horrible ad with the burger, or right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, uh... it, it's a food targeted at children and they're using sex to sell it. It's like, uh, excuse me, hello? You know? Mm. <laughs> I mean, if you want to sell fast cars or whatever, to adults okay but hamburgers are something eaten usually eaten by kids and it's all at bus stops and stuff so so kids are bombarded by all these uh, images mm. to a point that they're desensitized right mm. and then and then so and then but then when when they engage in things like sending dick, pic, dick, dick pics or asking for nude photos and then they're like oh no it's it's their fault it's, uh, but we need to look at the larger societal what's going on right I think in many societies, it's very convenient to blame the individual. You know, you scapegoat the individual and you pack them away and you don't think about it. But you really Mm. need to look at the larger context of society. What's happening? What, you know, what are the peers? What are everybody doing? 
And then you find out that actually, yeah, what they're doing makes sense in the sense that mm. there's so, so much sex, you know, sexualized images around them. Mm. Uh, so you hear about people sending dick pics all the time. So what's the big deal? You know, everybody's doing it. Uh, it's it's really really yeah it's really sad to see this happening because you know as um I think especially with like the the whole digital um I don't know part of it happening right playing out it's it's making it it's making cyberbullying as well really really um a huge thing and and that's really affecting people's um, self esteem and and exposing kids to a whole other level of. Uh, vulnerability exposure and all of that yeah so um yeah i actually wanted to go back to you know like just really understanding how we as a society or as parents you know should really be approaching this topic of sex with the younger generation right i understand that um in the previous conversation we had we talked mm-hmm. about body autonomy and safety and mm-hmm. you know maybe we can maybe we can start there what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, these are conversations that parents can have with really young children, right? You know, the moment that the child um, can articulate, understand language, like two, three years old, you can sort of start to say, talk, to have this conversation with them to say, you know, your your body is is yours, and nobody has a right to touch you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and then to sort of say, and allow the child to say no, right? Uh, to say no to hugs and kisses, especially, you know actually even from parents, but also uncles and aunties. Most kids are are reasonably okay to hug and kiss parents most of the Mm -hmm. time, right? But then also to respect the times when they say, actually, no, no hugs and kisses today. I don't feel like it, right? And go, okay, back off, you know? And... And that's okay, right? And and especially from, um, it's so much harder to explain this to relatives, uncles, aunts, grandparents, right? To say, um, you know, my child doesn't feel like hugging you, uh, can they shake your hand instead? Can they give you a high five instead? You know, we, we seem like the world over, we seem to feel like, oh, we can hug children without their consent. Um, then we kind of don't think extrapolate a bit later to go, okay, mm. then what else can adults do to children without that consent? I mean, it's not a clear line. Most, I think a lot of kids can kind of work it out a little bit, but then it's not a, it's not wise to have kids feeling super uncomfortable and feeling like they can do nothing about it, mm-hmm. right? So if they're uncomfortable being hugged and, and then they kind of feel like, I can't say anything, I can't do anything. It, it, yeah, it's not, not an ideal situation to, for, for children to start having these kinds of feelings when they're young, um, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, so, yeah, definitely you know, talk about body autonomy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who, who, who's, for younger children, you can sort of talk a little bit about who can, who's, who can touch you, right? Like if, yeah. if mommy or someone's helping you have a bath, sometimes we'll touch your body to make sure it's clean. This is hygiene. Uh, but if you're uncomfortable and you're old enough, you can say, no, I will, I will, I want to bathe myself, things like that. Right. So, so, you know, different aspects of body autonomy um, mm. that, that says that even as a young, young person, they can say no you know, and to teach them the vocabulary for saying no. Mm. Um, what what gets tricky, I find, is the, is how do you convey certain messages without freaking kids out? Because, you know, generally children, come, 
they 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 are, they come in full of confidence and full of love, very innocent. So you kind of give them messages without scaring them. And to me, that that's that's you know the million dollar question: how much information? How do you do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just the, the way I did it was kind of uh, I I think I I also had a um, help of a book or something, and just very casually said, you know, if if you want to. Um, and, and, and in my case, I have more than one child. So two of them were very close and they were like rough house a lot. And, I, and then one would go like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Then that's when I jump in and go, okay, you know, he said, stop, please stop, right? Uh, please respect when he says, stop, you know, he, he, and I actually use the word consent. He stopped giving you consent. So please stop. Um, and and I, I say this with a caveat to, to parents listening in, if you have cho- young children, uh, the next time you tell them to have a shower, they will tell you, I don't give you my consent. I don't consent to having a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, learn this, they learn this really quickly and they will use it against you. But then it's also good that it becomes a joke that, that you've kind of normalized things that they, they actually do understand the concept, mm. right? Mm. Uh, uh, at which point I kind of roll back and go, yeah, except when it comes to hygiene, you know, off you go, uh, kind of a thing. <laughs> so, um, like in, in one of a recent workshops, somebody mentioned like coaches, right? How do you make sure that, uh, you know, uh, your child is safe with mm. the coach? Because there's so many horror stories of, of coaches. Mm. So the way I handled it was like... Coaches, ask, so you mean in, in school or...? In school. Sports coaches, not me. Yeah, both in school and private coaches outside of school, mm. right? Or any kind of enrichment teachers. Mm. So the way I, I, I dealt with this without being too specific was just to ask uh, the child at the end of, oh, how, how did it go? Are you happy? Did you have a, did you enjoy it? You know, um, sort of very general questions that don't suggest that I'm looking out for something. You know, like, oh, how did it go? And uh, what do you do? You know, did you enjoy it? You know, so if kids are uncomfortable, it kind of shows in the way they talk, right? They, 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 they tend not to be able to mask all those things. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would just ask very general questions almost mm-hmm. after every coaching session or whatever. And then when they seem fine with it, I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I can back off with that. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's a general conversation, right? So yeah. okay, they seem fine. I'll just I, I can I can reduce the questions maybe, or just check in every, mm. every few sessions rather than after every session. Yeah, I mean, I think as as parents, you'd want to feel you you want to make sure that your child feels comfortable and safe in every mm-hmm. situation, and they're also able to um, learn how to draw their boundaries, um, you yeah. know, clearly, and make mm-hmm. sure that those boundaries are respected by whoever they're with, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So this actually, yes, as you're just sharing um, your, your perspective, I actually remember it as the statistic that you mentioned to me earlier, um, you know, mm-hmm. earlier on that I think in sexual abuse cases, a lot of the times um, it's conducted by someone who actually knows the child. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I right? Very much. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Not just child, but any, any sexual assault. If it's, mm. if it's a rape, or, or mm. I think what is termed penetrative sexual assault, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, basically rape, lah, right? Uh, except our definition of rape is kind of strange. But anyway, uh, it's 90% is known to the, the survivor. Um, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because um, 
that that it, unlike molest, which can happen in a matter of seconds, when you when you rape someone, you need a longer length of time. Yeah, you need to be able to be somewhere where you 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 can be you know various stages of not totally naked, but you know. Uh, disrobing, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, so then it, it speaks to opportunity. So generally, it, because the survivor trusts the other person to some extent, therefore they have the access and the opportunity to then rape the person. You know, mm-hmm. um, the statistics in I think US or UK for date rape is quite horrifying. I don't know whether we have such stats in, in Singapore. I can't remember the numbers, but I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is bad. Um, mm. And also the, uh, the stats in general in, I think, both US, UK is that, um, and again, this is through surveys and all that, so, so there is some degree of error. I think uh, in, in both those countries, when they are surveyed women in general about their experience with sexual assault, I think at least like 17% of women across, of all women have been assaulted at some point in their lives, right? Which is, mm. that to me, when I read it, I was just like, oh, that's a really scary mm. statistic. Mm. And I hope I got my numbers right because I tend to, I, I tend to have to double check. But I, I, I remember it was like one in five, one in six. Yeah, one in six-ish. Yeah. So that's, that's what is a lot. Cons- what's considered <clears throat> assault? Um, I don't know what... Uh, framework that, that survey use, and again, I read it. I, I I take some things and I forget. In in okay, in Singapore, we, we did a survey of young people, seventeen to um, twenty five, and uh, one in three have experienced um, harassment of some sort, mm. uh, meaning verbally or, or you know being shown obscene pictures, things like that. Mm. Uh, one in six have experienced unwanted touching. So it's touching, kissing, and, and assault and sex, uh, rape, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so uh, in, in the, when we did the survey in 2015, that, that was the stats that we, we, we got. Uh, and this was done, this, this is literally young people in Singapore, you know, 17 yeah. to 25. So the number is really high. Yeah. It's a lot of people, right? And I, I can only mm-hmm. imagine how how many of these, you know, how many of these cases go unreported as well. Right? Oh, majority, because, uh, at least 70%. Yeah. At least yeah, 70%. Probably because of shame and also because they don't know that it's wrong, right? And in part because it's done by someone they know, mm-hmm. there's extra pressure not to report. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the US cases, um, uh, or even recently in Singapore, right? It's like, oh, the perpetrator has a bright future in front of them, of him. Usually, it's a him. Mm-hmm. Let's not destroy his future. So then, the average person is like, if I report this, is what is going to happen at the end of this really traumatic process. What's the point, right? Or in other cases, um, especially for uh, children, younger children, it tends to be a relative of some sort or a neighbor, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, like, or or a sibling's, uh, older sibling's friend or a parent's family friend. And then they feel like if I I tell, 
I may not be believed or I may be blamed. They may say it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or if it's if it's a family member, so if I tell, I'm breaking up the family. So then they take it upon themselves to go, I, I, I can't talk about this. And mm. and also the, the the way that rape myths and all that perpetuate in, in, in so many cultures, right? Then they feel like, oh, was it my fault? Did I, did I send off the wrong signals? Yeah. And, and yeah. it's so crazy for a child or for anybody to be thinking that, they were raped because it was their fault. Yeah. Like, hello, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so all these, yeah, it, it gets really difficult. So so that's why the rate of reporting is so low. And I think there's another statistic that I think Straight Sam's also reported that for young people, it's even lower, only like 3 or, or 6% or something actually tell anyone about it. You know, if it happens to a minor. So mm-hmm. then you have a whole, so many young women walking around being traumatized and not being able to talk to anybody about it and feeling they're totally alone. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, then, then when they grow up, they, they haven't healed, right? They, they carry all this shame and everything with them. And, and not just shame, it's also the guilt. Right? The guilt, yeah. yeah. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be their guilt at all. It's it misplaced. Be, yeah, completely misplaced. Completely, but th- th- that's the way society has handled people who've talked about being sexually assaulted. You know, the first question was, mm-hmm. what are you wearing? Were you drinking? Were you were you in a dark yeah. corner? You know, it's like, hello, yeah. how about telling the perpetrator, don't assault? Mm-hmm. Instead of telling, you know, the, the mm-hmm. victim survivor, don't get assaulted. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, please tell me a 100% foolproof way of preventing assault. I'm sure every single parent in the world would love to know the 100% foolproof way. And if you can't, then you're putting an unfair burden on, on people. Because first of all, they feel like I need to prevent myself from being assaulted. So if I get assaulted, it's my fault. But what's the foolproof mm-hmm. way? There is none. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you're put in this ridiculous situation and it really does your head in, right? It's like, oh my God, yeah. it wasn't my fault, you know? So even being molested, a lot of people feel like, oh, am I over-imagining it? Maybe it was inadvertent. Maybe he didn't mean to touch me. And mm. yeah, it it really sets mm. up all these pressures. <sighs> yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's a heavy one. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I'm just really thinking like, you know, I, I think, as you said, there's so many of us, you know, um, just walking around with all this shame, guilt, whether or not we've been exposed to assault or not, right? There's just so much that we're carrying around this topic of sex, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I, I want to explore, um, you know, how, how we could remove the shame on two fronts, right? First, on the parent side of things. So as parents, how can parents better guide their children, um, whether they're, you know, younger children as we, we went through earlier, as well as mm-hmm. um, through their, you know, teenage um, years. And and then after that, I would like to also explore, um, you know, as adults, what can we do for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So where shall we start first? <laughs> um. <laughs> I think, yeah, as parents, parents are, and that's why I find really touching, you know, parents who come to the workshop, they're super motivated to, to give something better to their children. Mm-hmm. And, and I always find that so, 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 so touching, you know, um, especially like for some parents, if they stay back to ask questions, you can see that they're trying so hard to wrap their heads around certain ideas or concepts or trying to get over their own conditioning. And I always find that so heartening. It's like, ah. 
you know, um, humans are so resilient, right? And, 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 and because of love, you know, so many people are willing to, to go out and put themselves in very uncomfortable situations because of their love. In this case, for the children, they, they want to do better. They want to um, help their children have healthier sex lives and, you know, attitudes mm-hmm. and things like that. I think as a parent, before you can even say anything to your child, you kind of sort of need to work on yourself first because if not, the, the things you, you say come up really awkward or, or, or sort of like off, off kilter mm-hmm. and the child can sense it, right? Children are, are amazing at sensing discomfort in their parents. They're sensing the moods and all that, right? Because partly the survival depends on it, right? They, they need to be able to read their parents. So, so if we talk to our children and we're really awkward and we're and 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 also inadvertently, um, what we're thinking will come out subconsciously, either as verbal or non-verbal messages, right? Like what we truly, truly believe. It's very difficult to mask that completely. At some point, something will leak out, and then our children will go, ah, that's what my parent really thinks about it. And then you kind of undo <laughs> yeah. everything you say, you, you undo all your words, right? Mm-hmm. So be, before you know, it's like. First of all, to to really center ourselves and really to think, okay, what's my attitude towards sex? What's my attitude towards all these things? And can I can I sort of think about it and feel and not just think rightly because our thinking brain is only part of ourselves? Can, can we think and feel differently about this before we attempt to really approach our children to talk any topic? Because if we are really squirmy, mm. then they'll you know even though we have the best intentions, when we, the moment we can't even say the word sex, for instance, right? It's like, um, you know, yeah, doing it, like, um, yeah. And then our kid will go, oh, sex, the word sex is taboo and my parents really awkward about it. So if mm-hmm. I have any questions, I better not ask them because they're going to be so awkward about it. And, you know, and I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or whatever, whatever, or, you know. Mm-hmm. So then, then sometimes the message that the child gets is completely different from that the parent intended, but because the parent themselves mm-hmm. are so, you know, awkward. Right. So I think it's to, it's to break it down, um, you know, there's all these like self-help and psychology books and, and stuff like that, but I find some of the techniques quite useful is to ask, so what, you know, like, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Uh, what, what am I concerned about? Okay. I'm concerned that my child, okay. Uh, is, is going to have sex before, uh, like as a teenager. Okay. So what? Then you, you extrapolate mm. to, to, you know, uh, what about this? So what? So you find that ultimately what is your ultimate fear? Right, like what is the worst case scenario you can think of, uh, or or what is the true underlying reason for? Oh, uh, I'm really awkward talking about sex. Oh, okay, I'm really awkward. Why is that? Oh, because I feel that talking about sex uh, will make my child want to try it. Oh, is that really mm-hmm. true? Um, you know, and, and so you kind of dig a little bit bit deeper into your own thoughts and emotions. Um, and my, my, at least my sing, one individual personal experience is that if you dig deep enough and you ask enough questions of yourself and you're honest enough, usually the demon shrinks, your fear shrinks into a much more manageable size or even sometimes it disappears and you go, oh, actually, I was more afraid of the fear, mm. right? I was more afraid of these phantom things that are not real. If I dig, dig deeper than... Um, actually, it, it, it isn't so bad. It isn't so shameful. It isn't so whatever. Mm-hmm. And then from that space, when you're feeling um, less tied up in knots and less awkward, then then you can go approach your child and have a conversation. And so once you have that, you know, I guess when once you reach that level of comfort with yourself and with the topic 
of sex, then how do you then bring up the conversation and then create that psychological safety for your child to be able to speak about sex openly with you? You can uh, sort of engineer it. Like, you know, there, there are some websites uh, with fantastic videos, like amaze.org is an American website. Mm. But they, they break a lot of concepts down, like consent and, and body autonomy and things like that. They sort of break it down to to videos and short videos that it's very easy for children to understand. Right, so to invite, especially if it's a younger child, like like lower primary or younger, they they love to get involved with what parents do. Like they're dead curious about parents' work. So just like, oh, show a video, bring a child and say, hey, you know, mm. um, watch this video. And then do you know what it means? What do you think about it? You know, um, like, oh, the other day when you were with Jaja uh, and you wanted to tickle her and she said, stop, you know, the consent means you have to stop, things like that, right? So you just mm. use whatever's occurring in their life as examples, right? Mm -hmm. So this is already the start of sex ed, even though nothing you say has anything remotely to do with sex. But you're teaching them very important concepts of consent and also listening to people and respecting when they say stop, you stop. Um, another way is incidentally like uh, watching um, cartoons or watching shows, depending on the age of a child. A lot, a lot of shows have concepts that we can use that like, very common is unhealthy relationships right mm. like in, in a show you have a couple squabbling or even siblings and and then one storms off and slams the door or one yeah. calls the other person names and stuff they can go like oh yeah we see that a lot in real life but you know really if you're respecting that person you don't vent your anger you can say that i'm angry but you don't end up you don't call the other person names and, and make them feel mm -hmm. really small you know uh Stuff like that. You, you can use all, all these things that are available as discussion. Um, sometimes um, with older children who, who are reading books on their own, you know, sometimes I plant books. Like I just put a book that I, I think they should read. I just leave it around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have any books uh, to recommend? Um, there's a few in, in the National Library about menstruation, about um, mm. uh, puberty and things. Um, because... When they're hitting their age, they're less likely to talk to the parent. Yeah. Right. So so in my case, I didn't leave it. Like I kind of gave it to, to my oldest. And then I tried to have conversation. And she's like, mom, you gave me the book. I read it. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, when they get to a certain age, right, a lot of times parents think, oh, my child's too young. It's too young to talk about this. Um, for a lot of people, the experience is that when your child hits around 11, 12, they stop wanting to talk to you about it. Then you have to be even more skillful at engineering situations, right? Or what I say, guerrilla, guerrilla style, like have a well, when you're having a a chat, when you're talking, you know, dinner, dinner conversation, whatever, and then a topic suddenly comes up, you just grab that opportunity, you say whatever you want to say, and then you leave mm. because mm. your team is not going to sit around and let you carry on a conversation for more than two minutes, right? <laughs> but then with younger children, it's a lot easier. Like I was, I was totally able to talk about consent in great, great detail mm. to, to my children when they were under 10 years old. They were curious. They were like, oh, mm. why? Why is this? What? You know, or, or like, um, just, you know, then they will, they'll role play with each other. They'll roughhouse each other and then goes like, I don't give you my consent to touch me. And then, you know... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's really fantastic. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's like it's much easier to start when a child is younger because yeah. they're much more open, they're, they're less awkward, they're less shy, you mm. know, uh, and then you don't have to work so hard at it. You know, yeah, and yeah. if you, and also if you start when they're young, 
there's no there's always no guarantee right, with children, but the hope is that when you're open with them when they're young, when they get older, teenage and they have questions, mm. hopefully they're more likely to bring it up and ask you. Right. If if they if you've established this open conversation uh with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that sounds, you know, like really, really great advice for anyone who's, you know, a parent or kind of worrying about how to bring up this topic with their children, which I think is super, super important, right? Yeah. 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 yeah the first thing is that when you when you think about it, don't think about it as sex, because at least mm-hmm. for the first 10 years, it, it literally is about respect, consent, communication, healthy and healthy relationships, mm-hmm. trusting their own instincts. Like when, when they feel like they don't like certain things, like, oh, you know, like hugging is like, why do you hug? hug Uncle A and you don't have Uncle B. It's like, oh, I'm not comfortable with Uncle B. And a lot of times they can't explain why. They just, I'm just not comfortable with him. Okay, okay, sweetie, you trust your instincts. I will tell Uncle B that you no longer want to hug him, right? Rather than like, why, why, why? And because they can't explain, they go, oh, maybe, maybe my reason isn't valid because I can't explain it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay, do you have any advice for parents who are preparing themselves for these conversations with their children? Uh, read and I guess read and think about it, you know, um, mm-hmm. depending on what their concerns are. I know a lot of parents are concerned that they talk about it, their kids more likely to have sex and it, that has shown not to be true in many research mm-hmm. and even meta researchers and all that. So it's, yeah, to, to, to first of all, Read up and you know use evidence based like what 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 evidence is out there to go. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not likely to happen. And then secondly, if you don't know how to communicate, um, you know, think it through. Think about it. What you know, uh, there, there are a lot of resources online. Actually, if you just Google, there's so many things about how do you talk to a child about sex, how do you talk to your child about consent. The videos, there's advice, there's list of things that you a thinking process. You know, all, all this stuff, just kind of prepare yourself a little bit, right, uh, before mm. approaching. Because if you go in blind, chances are you giving the wrong message is pretty high, I think. Because we're, we're also awkward about it. And we think we sex are, is so we cool. are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> most people can't even discuss sex with their sexual partner, right? No, it's like, you're so right. Yeah. yeah. So what are you willing to do, what you're not willing, what you like, what you don't like? Mm-hmm. And we can't. We, 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 we have no vocabulary. Mm-hmm. We have no frame of reference to be able to tell that to our sexual partner. Right? Yeah. So then how are we going to have this conversation when we are all tied up in knots and like, oh, no goes on, no goes on, cannot talk about this, cannot talk about that. Then what happens if your child asks you a question and is in one of your, I cannot talk about this and you're like, uh, mm, uh, uh, ask me later when you're grown up. Right? It's not a, that's not a satisfying answer. Right? Yeah, <laughs> then yeah. the, the message your kid is just, yeah, I have no point asking lah. Yeah, I'll just go Google this and then they'll find some porn instead. <laughs> so, which is not great. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. blind leading the blind with their friends, you know. Exactly. Yeah. They all they ask their friends. Um, yeah, so I, I would like to, you know, find out how parents, uh, people in general could like find out more about the Birds and Bees program that you're running. Oh, um, you can uh, go, go to the aware uh, website. It's uh, aware.org.sg and... Um, I think it's slash birds and bees. Um, um, if I send it to you, maybe you could put it. Yeah, in I'll put it in the show notes. notes. No worries. Show notes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then we'll list times of uh, the next workshop. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And finally, our last question that we ask all our guests is, how do you find calm for yourself? Um, 
I love yoga, so I and now with uh, it's on Zoom. Most weeks I get to do it at least three times, you know, because you just finish your meeting, search the channel, mm. no travel time. So at least three to four times. Uh, my teacher teaches four times a week, so I get to do three to four times. And then um, I also like sort of meditating quiet time. Uh, I... But sometimes I find that during lockdown and COVID, it's been especially hard to meditate. And uh, my the retreat that I go for has been cancelled for two years, so I really miss it. But um, mm. so I try to med, you know do as much as I can. But if not, at least there's yoga, you know, yeah. <laughs> a few times a week. And it's you know my teacher is also has a very calming influence on, on, for, for me. So so that okay yoga, and then when I can meditate, um, and. Sometimes uh, for me, when I'm, especially with homework and all that, and I get really fed up with my kids, sometimes it's just a day of fun where, where I just play with my children, like no homework, no considerations, nothing, just pure play. And that's also very, um, you know, that's delightful, but that also recharges all of us. Yeah, I think. definitely. Play is great to have in our lives. <laughs> it's so important. <laughs> all right. Okay, thank you so much, Juhim, for joining us. Thank you for listening to Calm Conversations. If you liked today's conversation, make sure to follow this podcast. We have a lot more interesting conversations lined up, dealing with many different aspects of mental health from an Asian cultural lens. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Telegram, or Facebook to find out when we're releasing our next podcast episode or hosting our next talk. You can look us up as Calm Collective Asia or go to our website www.calmcollective.asia. This podcast is supported by the National Youth Council, the Youth Action Challenge, and Youth Collab. Also, a huge thank you to Snakeweed Studios who are helping us record and produce this podcast. See you next time. Until then, stay calm.